You probably really admire the people who just know how to set things up so that everything falls into place and everybody falls into line and agrees and has the experience as the experience was designed. That's a great feeling, that feeling of having thought everything through, set it all up, and then executing flawlessly so that your communication works exactly the way you wanted it to work. Hi, I'm Linda Ferguson of NLP Canada Training, nearing the end of our series of episodes based on the core skills we teach in our NLP practitioner course. This is episode number seven, and it's on understanding patterns and how to use patterns in communication to make a difference. Patterns are, um, it's a funny word. It's a word that not everybody knows anymore. And so you might be a little bit surprised at the ways I'm going to be using it. But I want you to think back first to that scene we started with, the one where everything was set up perfectly. If it were you, how would you feel about setting up a conversation, a meeting, an interaction you have all the time, or an interaction that's supposed to be spontaneous? Would you be worried you might feel a little bit fake, that you might seem a little bit manipulative? Or would you worry that if you thought too much about what you wanted to do, you wouldn't be able to do it? You'd get stuck wondering what the best setup would be, and you'd just never get around to getting it right. Here's what we teach. We taught in the first two days of the communication part of the course that communication is collaboration, that it takes a willing partner to communicate, and that the more you treat that willing partner with respect and with courtesy, the more likely you are to get what you want. When we think of communication as something we do with somebody and not to somebody, we start opening up the possibilities of being more intentional about what we're doing without feeling that we are somehow less authentic and without any fear of spiraling out of control in our analysis because Always the focus is on making the relationship work so that the patterns and the words can work. So what do I mean by patterns? The first thing I mean is that a pattern is a kind of structure. It's a skeleton. And although it can look different, just as people with very similar skeletons can look very different, There are some sort of edges, some sort of boundaries that change what people perceive, what they notice, where their focus is, and therefore what their states can be and what their behaviors are likely to be. 
first thing to notice is this isn't a choice. Every communication you have takes place within a form. It might be the form of a time and a place for a conversation. It might be a format for a more formal presentation or a piece of writing. But there's already limits to every communication. It's bounded. And because of this boundary, which is a boundary that exists whether or not you set it up, you're going to have different things happening. Now, if you set the boundaries intentionally, if you use framing to construct a setting that really supports the states that you believe will be useful in your conversation, then you're going to have a better conversation. You're going to have a better chance at making the relationship you want to make so that you can get the result that you want to get. So as much as you think about your message that you want to communicate or shape, as much as you think about the result that you want to get, you also want to think about the frame you want to set. What kind of place, sitting or standing, moving or still, what kind of time of day would be best for this interaction, what kind of format would be best? How formal do you want it to be? How long will it take? And you want to kind of create the container for your interaction with as much care and attention as you give to the meaning of your words or the results that you want to achieve. And this isn't trying to manipulate somebody any more than you're trying to manipulate people when you invite them to your house for dinner and you clean the house and you put out your best dishes and you have something nice for them to eat and drink. You are setting a stage with courtesy, with respect, to help the other person also have what they need in this conversation so that you can collaborate successfully, so you can hear each other, so you can build connection, and so you can get something done. Now, we also have structures within our language, and these ones are a little harder to catch. But you can think of it, the first stage, as hearing labels. People use labels all the time. And labels are kind of saying this very specific thing that only happened once is part of a group of things. And I know what this group of things is like, how to predict what comes next, how to feel about it. And so labels can be the difference between I'm excited and I'm anxious. They're both describing the same state, but in a different way. They can survive uh, somebody who is being a pain in the fanny or somebody who is being meticulous. And so you want to start hearing the labels that other people are using and sending back more helpful labels, labels that are more useful in the situation for maintaining the resources that will help you and this other person get to a good result. 
It's much easier to be aware of other people's labels. It's a good place to start because so much of your communication, your language comes from that bigger self, that self that is not within your conscious awareness. Because you say things without even hearing what you're saying. It's harder to catch your own labels. You'll start to do it as you become more aware of labels in general. So you might not think of labels as structure, but if you think of labels as a container into which different experiences fit, you'll see more how this is also a kind of pattern, a kind of repeated element, and not really as different as it might have seemed from frames, from anchors, from primes, from all those things that are going to take us into one state where we have one set of perceptions and take us away from other states and other perceptions. Now, when we have a very wide frame, when we have a very big container, it's easy for us to agree, but it's hard for us to get things done. And so the third thing I'm teaching people to think about in this day of the prac course is to be aware that when people are using a very big pattern, a pattern that is very inclusive of a lot of different kinds of experience, we have to use language to become more specific, to make the box smaller, so to speak, until we get to a specific time and a specific place under specific conditions where action can occur. And we're always focused, you've heard this before in other days, on how we can change what we communicate, how we communicate, so that people will imagine taking action in the way we want them to take action. Because once people have made a mental representation of themselves, of what they will see and hear and feel as they do something, they become much more likely to carry it out. I mentioned a moment ago anchors. We've talked about anchors earlier in the course. It is any kind of physical uh, stimulus, including a word, that takes people back into a whole experience. So it acts exactly the way a frame is going to act. It's like a container that you are invited into. When you're in that container, you are more likely to have certain states and perceptions than you would be if you weren't in that space, created by either an anchor to a strong experience you've had before, or a prime, which is something that occurs just at the edge of awareness, like being hot or cold, like the music in a restaurant that sets you up to enjoy your meal at a particular pace, faster if the restaurant wants to turn tables faster, slower if they want to encourage you to linger over your meal. So we know from lots and lots of research outside NLP that all kinds of things at the edge of our awareness actually change what we notice and how we behave. 
when we become intentional, when we're really committed to getting an outcome from our communication, we also become aware that everything that is in the perceptual range of somebody as they are communicating with us is potentially going to have an influence on who they are and what they think and how they behave. And so we really want to think about what do we know about the people we're communicating with? How can we set them up to access really useful states so we connect better and move better together? And this is as simple as maybe having the really good pastries at the breakfast meeting versus the ones they've seen a million times. And you think, is that an anchor? Yes, it's a treat anchor. Is that a good thing? Most of the time we think of it as a courteous thing, as something that shows I'm thinking about you even before we start to connect. And you can see that as artificial, but most of the time, if it's done with genuine thoughtfulness, what we see is a desire to connect. It doesn't buy our agreement, it buys our willingness to consider. It's helpful not just to have primes for other people, but to have anchors and primes that are going to remind you to stay in the states that you want to be in as you communicate so that you're able to get the results that you want to get. And it's important to remember, especially if you're feeling like, oh, this is so manipulative, that really what it is is so committed to a good experience both for you and for them because whatever state you are prompting in the people with whom you are communicating, you're also prompting in yourself. And so setting up your environment, your language, so that it is full of reminders of where to focus and how to focus and how to focus in time so you know whether you're trying to move quickly or slowly will actually really improve your ability to make good connections and to get the results you want. And if you want to test this out, the next time you tell somebody at work, I just need five minutes, make sure you only take five minutes. And you'll notice that people are first surprised and then actually make a whole lot of other assumptions about you, very good assumptions, because you honored their time, you showed respect, you showed that they could trust you to know how much communicating you could do in that amount of time. And it doesn't have to be fancy at all. It just has to be disciplined. You want to make the container fit the work that you need to do. Third thing that we really want to work on in understanding structure is narrative. And narrative is this big fancy word for telling a story. And the first kind of layer of storytelling that you want to become sensitive to is that stories aren't real life. Narratives, any kind of 
account of how to get from one thing to another thing to another thing is a narrative. So a recipe is a narrative. It doesn't have to be an instruction set um, on how to build something. Is a narrative. It doesn't have to be a story like a fancy story or a funny story. But a narrative has to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And life doesn't really have a beginning, a middle, and an end as we live it. Sort of, we have a night and we are asleep or awake. We sleep well or badly. And that blurs into the kind of morning we have as we get up and into the rest of our day. And our day flows all the way into the next night. And when we look back on time, often we have big chunks of time where time just seemed to go by. It was a bit of a blur. Narratives can never be a bit of a blur. They have to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's what makes them, in language, a structure, a container into which you can put some things and everything else isn't going to fit. So... The interesting thing about narratives as frames is other frames might be relatively static. They might tell you about a particular moment in time. But narratives tell you how things change, how you move from one thing to another thing through action. And we know that action is prompted by changes in state. And so when we're wondering how can we set up not one change in state, but a series of small changes that lead to a desired result. Narratives start telling us how to do that. So instead of thinking that you have to become a master storyteller, which is a wonderful thing to be, but often feels out of reach for people, think that what you're wanting to do in your communication is to create in language, in the moment, a sort of virtual reality where you test how can you and this other person move from one state to another to land on a state that will prompt the behavior you want to prompt through your conversation, whether that is the behavior of remembering particular information, the behavior of acting on that information, the behavior of collaborating and making something with you, thinking together. Narrative allows us, because we are at the same stage in the story with our hearer or our listener or our uh, reader all of the time, a narrative is just any collection of circumstances and actions and connections that we experience together, that allow us to change together, that gets us into a kind of rhythm and a kind of shared expectation that sometimes can lead to influence and often leads to mutual influence, mutual respect and collaboration. So none of this is even a little bit inauthentic. None of it is even a little bit paralyzing. When you understand that communication 
has within it many, many parts of structure. Structure of language, structure of circumstance, structure of beginning and ending, structure of states, moving from one state to another, and that your fabulous, miraculous brain is tracking all of these layers while your mind gets to function, to notice, to connect, and to carry your meaning, to actually talk, to do the behaviors. And that's a really good balance. And so at this point in the course, we're ready to understand that we can team up with all parts of ourselves, that we can trust our solid outcome to stay with us so that we won't get paralyzed by setting it up, but we will use all of the time, all of the resources, all of the insight that is available to us to help us build towards the outcome we want and to be aware that whenever we are communicating, we are constructing something and what we're constructing are patterns and expectations and change. I know it's a little bit complicated. That's why we do it on day seven. But this is the piece that we need to pull all the other pieces into order so that we are able to have the influence we want to have through our connections with other people. I'm Linda Ferguson, NLP Canada Training.